where the book of Zephaniah is. I know that you just instantly can turn to that without even a thought about it. All right, so it's in the Old Testament. Go back to Malachi, last book of the Old Testament, and the next one from that, Zechariah, then Haggai, and then Zephaniah. Isn't it terrible when you're sitting in a meeting and the preacher announces a book like that and the pages are stuck together because you've never read it? <laughs> so Zephaniah chapter 3. And I just want to read verse 17. The Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. He will quiet you in his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. He will rejoice over you with gladness. Hands up who remembers Star Trek. Just about everybody. On the Starship Enterprise, there was a crew from all over the world, different nationalities. Each one was an expert in his or her given field. But one of the crew was an alien from another planet, Mr. Spock. And Mr. Spock, played by Leonard Nimroy, was terribly clever, very articulate, highly efficient, but he had one serious flaw. He was completely emotionless. He was devoid of any natural affections that us mere human beings would have. He was never angry or sad or glad. He never cried. He never laughed. He couldn't feel sympathy or empathy. That was beyond him. But he was calculating, analytical, detached, dispassionate. He had no passion, no intensity, no love, no warmth, just mechanical. Now to many people, God is like Mr. Spock. He's good to have on the flight deck when things go wrong because he doesn't panic. <laughs> He's cool under pressure. He looks at things logically, dispassionately, won't act irrationally. And he'll take your problem and punch it into his great big cosmic computer and then he will give you an analysis of the situation and then he'll step back and remain aloof and detached from the final outcome. But a god like Mr. Spock will never make a great captain because he doesn't know how you feel and he doesn't feel how you feel. But the God of the Bible, our God, is nothing like Mr. Spock. He is not aloof emotionless, dispassionate, uncaring, or without feeling. And even though he is from another world, a world very different than our world, yet he is a God who cares, who feels, who senses, who is touched. And he just didn't visit this earth. 
In fact, he came to be like one of us. He clothed himself with humanity. He took on human form. He became incarnate. He took upon himself human flesh. He walked this earth. He sat where we sat. And although he himself was perfect, yet as the song says, he took our sins and our sorrows and he made them his very own. So what am I saying tonight? I'm saying that God has got feelings too. That he is not dispassionate. That he is not unconnected with our world. That he is not aloof and afar off. He's not without feeling. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Aren't you glad for that? But was in all points tempted like as we are, yet he was without sin. Let us therefore, and this is how we can do this, come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you think for one moment that God has no feelings over things like injustice? Lots of inequality and injustice in the world. Do you think God doesn't care about that? Do you think there's no feelings about millions of people who go hungry every night of their life? Do you think he has no feelings about natural and man-made disasters or about abortion that takes the lives of millions upon millions of little babies that is made in his image? Do you think God doesn't care about those things? Do you think he doesn't care about abuse and sickness and disease and pain and hurt? Absolutely he does. Because a God who's got feelings, a God who does care. You think God doesn't care about his church, his bride? What kind of a bridegroom would not care about his bride? Of course he cares. And he cares about worship and service. And even Jesus, as God incarnate, when he was on this earth, he, he felt anger, righteous anger. Do you remember when he's in the temple uh, and, and he saw those money changers taking advantage of people and he says, you've made it a den of thieves. My father's house is a house of prayer. Look what you've turned it into. And he, he kicked over their tables and he made a whip of cords and he hounded them out of the place. He was angry. He felt passionately about the Father's house. He felt sadness at the grave of his friend Lazarus. He felt deep, deep sadness. Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. How poignant that the creator of the ends of the earth actually shed tears. When he saw what sin and the consequences of sin and the human race did to his special friend. He wept. It hurt him. He must have felt great gladness at the miracles he performed. I'm sure you know when he raised Jairus' daughter up from the bed of death, I'm sure he looked 
at Jairus' face at that moment to see his expression. What gladness that must have brought to his heart. When he saw blind Bartimaeus seeing him for the first time, must a big smile must have broken his face when he saw that. Wouldn't you smile? Wouldn't you be glad to see that? Wouldn't your heart jump? And so he felt all of these things. He felt the pain of rejection. He felt the forsakenness even of his own father on the cross. So all of these human emotions that we feel, that we go through in life, that we experience, he, he felt all of those things. Not some kind of Mr. Spock that was like a machine that was mechanical. Somebody who could enter into how we feel and into our hearts and into our joys and into our laughter and into our tears. Zephaniah 3.17, it says, the Lord rejoices over us. Must be something to hear the Lord himself rejoicing. Sometimes in a meeting like this, during the period of worship, you hear rejoicing. You hear those around you and you hear your own voice being lifted up. But imagine what it must be like to hear the Lord himself rejoicing. That must be some expression, filling all of heaven. In Deuteronomy 39, it says, For the Lord will again rejoice over you for good as he rejoiced over your fathers. Jeremiah 32, 41, Yes, I will rejoice over them to do them good. Isaiah 65, 19, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. So God is a God who rejoices over us. Parents sing to their children, do they not? All of us who has raised a child, especially when you put them to bed to get them to sleep, you sing to them. It doesn't matter how badly you sing. It doesn't really matter. It's something when they're small enough, it doesn't really matter if you're making it up what you sing. My wife, she sings to the kids all the time. She loves to sit and hold them and sing to them. And they love that. She was singing to them today. She was singing to Noah today. And I never heard Noah's Ark song like that ever before because she was just, it was like a rapper, you know. She was just making it up as you go along. It was great. <laughs> of course, Noah's only nine months. He doesn't care. <laughs> it doesn't matter if the words rhyme or not. You just, you just enjoy the, the sound of the voice. And it's soothing and it's comforting. If we could only realize that our God rejoices over us, sings over us, because that's what it means. He sings over us. God delights in you. Micah 7, 18, who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity, passing over the transgressions of the remnant of his heritage. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He delights, another translation says, in loving kindness. He delights in it. Just as we delight in loving kindness to our children, we want to make them happy. We delight 
in them and we want them to be happy and fulfilled and enjoy life and so we delight in them. Oh no, sometimes it's hard to delight in them, especially when they get a certain age, I know that. But then God has to put up a lot with us, doesn't he? Do you ever think of the patience the Father has to have with us? He's got to have a lot of patience, hasn't he? Because we mess up a lot of times. God is pleased with you. Now Hebrews 11 and 6 says that without faith it is impossible to please God. But the opposite of that is, of course, that with faith it does please God. And every single time you use even a mustard seed of your faith, it's a great pleasure to the Father's heart. Because what that is saying to God is, I trust you. I believe in you. I'm depending upon you. I'm resting in you. I'm putting my weight upon you. I'm believing what you said in your word. Now how must that feel to the Father? We know that our children again, if they trust us, how good that feels. That they feel that we are trustworthy that we are dependable, that we are good and will bless them and they put their trust in us. How much more does the Father feel when us as mere creatures of the dust says to him, I trust you, I believe in you, I rest in you, I'm dependent upon you. So that pleases the heart of God. That's what pleases God. Hebrews 13 and 16, but do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. At that moment, when you do good to somebody, and particularly if it's a sacrifice of your time, of your money, of your labor, or whatever it may be, it's a sacrifice. When you do that, it pleases the great heart of God. He delights in that. He's pleased with that when you do that. That makes you want to do it, doesn't it? It makes you just want to bless somebody. Now, I know that whenever we do that, we're not consciously thinking of that. But actually, it's a truth. God is so pleased whenever we share and we make a sacrifice for somebody else. It pleases God's heart. God takes pleasure in you. In Psalm 16, in Psalm 16, verse 11, it says, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand, our pleasures forevermore. Huh. I wonder what pleasures God has got in store for his children. Not only in this life, but more especially in the next life. I wonder what delights and pleasures God has got up his sleeve for us. You know the ad on TV that's been quite prominent recently about Disneyland? And it shows you how when the parents tell their children that they're going to Disney, the sheer excitement and the joy 
to get to go to Disney? What would it be like when we get to the glory and the Father just springs a surprise on you? Something that is beyond your imagination. Some pleasure. And God takes great pleasure in us. In Psalm 149. Verse 1 says, Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. And his praise in the assembly of the saints. That Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them praise his name with the dance. Let them sing praises to him with the timbrel and harp. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. The Lord takes pleasure in his people. Sometimes when you're down on yourself and you're hard on yourself and you feel I've let the Lord down and you've repented of it but you still feel bad about it. Sometimes we need to look at those scriptures and say, do you know what? The Lord takes pleasure in his people. He's not out just to batter you and thump you over the head. He takes pleasure in his people. And look chapter 12. Verse 34, do not fear, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I think Clifford said a couple of weeks ago that, uh, yes, he did, that God desires to bless us and give us more than actually we know or we understand. There's so much more God wants to do for us and bless us and to give us more than what we even understand. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the very kingdom. In fact, one day, believers will run his kingdom for him. That's what the Bible tells us. One day we'll rule the very angels. Can you believe that? Is that too big to believe? That's what the Bible says. So it's the Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. Revelation 4. And verse 11 says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, note this, and by your will they exist and were created. God created all things and he created us especially. Why did he do that? To have pleasure in. To enjoy. We are God's delight. We are the highest of God's creation. And God loves us and takes pleasure in us. That's what the scriptures tell us. God truly, really, genuinely loves us. In John chapter 17, in Jesus' great prayer for the church, and not what we call the commonly the Lord's Prayer, but John 17, which is his actual prayer for the church. Well, let's read in verse 20. I do not pray for these alone but also for those who will receive me through their word. So that's us, isn't it? That's you and me. 
that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. I mean, that is just almost unbelievable, isn't it? If that was not in the Bible, if Jesus didn't say it, you couldn't believe it. That the Father would love you and me as much as he loves his own son. But it is the truth. That's what Jesus said. That you have loved them as you have loved me. What a precious scripture that is. Jude 21 says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. We have to remind ourselves that God actually, truly loves us. Because sometimes in our weaknesses and our failures and in our feelings, in our humanity, we lose sight of the fact that God actually, truly loves us. Keep yourselves in the love of God, Jude said. In Ephesians chapter 3, Verse 14, for this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, may be, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width of and the length, and the depth, and the height, and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. How could you know something that passes knowledge? <laughs> Let me put it this way. You can't figure it out in your head, but you feel it in your heart. <laughs> How can you explain love? How can you explain love? Can you measure it? What does love weigh? Do you ever hear of a gram of love? An ounce of love? How can you measure it? How can you quantify love? You can't. But you can experience it. You can feel it. You can enjoy it. You can have it. And you can give it. So he says unto know the love of Christ experientially which passes human knowledge. In fact, the peace of God passes all understanding. And here is the love of Christ passes all understanding. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What am I saying tonight? I'm saying that God has got feelings. He feels. He's sensitive. He understands. And he sent his son 
into this world, to walk in this life, and to feel what we feel, putting himself in our position, touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Aren't you glad for a God like that tonight? Aren't you glad for a Savior who came to this earth and to live as one of us, except without the sin? So that whenever we go to him in prayer, he knows exactly where we are. He knows exactly what we're going through. He knows exactly how we feel because he's been here and he's lived here. My message is short tonight. I'm going to finish. I'm just going to read you something. I think it'll just uh, top it off. Some of you know this little story. Uh, you may even have the little book. It's a little book by Max Lucado. It's called You Are Special. How many parents in here has got this for their children, have read this to your kids? You know what you need to do this week? You need to go out and buy this book and read it to your children and read it to your grandchildren. When I came to church tonight, uh, Mian was with me. And she says, Granda, why are you taking that book that you read to me many times? She remembered it. So I'm going to read it to you. Some of you may know the story. It's a story of little wooden people called the Wemmicks. And the wood carver that made them is called Eli. Now even though it's an illustrated little book, and it looks for all the world like a little children's book. By the way, whenever the little school from up the road here came to see it, remember they're doing around the churches in Moira? When they came to our church, I went out and bought them all this little book. I made sure all of them got this. I asked the, the headmistress who was here that day, I said, now, because it's an integrated school, so they have to be careful what they give the children. And I says, I'll give you a pile of these, you read it, and if you think that's worthy to give to the children, then I'd love to give them each one of those. So she says, I'll do that. So I rang her up a week later, and I says, what do you think? Oh, she says, I gave them all, all the kids got the book. So let me read you the story of the Wemex. And there's a moral in the story. And it's a very good moral. Even for us as grown-up adults. All right, so. Are you sitting comfortably? Yes. <laughs> are you listening? All right. The Wemex were small wooden people carved by a woodworker named Eli. Each Wemex was different. Some had big noses, others had large eyes. Some were tall, others were short. Each Wemmick had a box of golden star stickers and grey dot stickers. The wooden people went around the village sticking stars or dots in one another. The pretty ones got stars. Wemmicks with rough wood or chipped paint got dots. The talented ones got stars too. Some could jump over tall boxes or sing pretty songs. Others, though, could do little. They got dots. Punchinello was one of these. He tried to jump high like the others, but he always fell. So the Wemmicks would give him dots. When he tried to explain why he fell, he would say something silly. So the Wemmicks would give him more dots. He deserves lots of dots, the wooden people would say. And after a while, Punchinello believed them. 
I guess I'm not a good Wemmick, he decided. So he stayed inside most of the time. When he did go outside, he hung around with other Wemmicks who had lots of dots. He felt better around them. One day he met a different kind of Wemmick named Lucia. She had no dots or stars. The Wemmicks admired Lucia for having no dots, so they would give her a star, but it would fall off. Others gave her a dot for having no stars, but it wouldn't stay either. That's the way I want to be, he thought. So he asked Lucia how she did it. It's easy, she replied. Every day I go to visit Eli the woodcarver. Why? You'll find out if you go and see him. Then Lucia turned and skipped away. But will he want to see me? Punchinello wondered. Later at home he sat and watched the wooden people giving each other stars and dots. It's not right, he muttered to himself. And he decided to go and see Eli. Punchinello walked up the narrow path and stepped into Eli's shop. His eyes grew big. The stool was as tall as he was. He had to stretch on tiptoe to see the top of the workbench. Punchinello swallowed hard. I'm not staying here. Then he heard his name. Punchinello, the voice was deep and strong. How good to see you. Come, let me have a look at you. Punchinello looked up. You know my name? Of course, I made you. Eli picked him up and set him on the bench. Looks like you have been given some bad marks, said the maker. I didn't mean to, Eli. I really tried hard. Punchinello, I don't care what the other Wemmicks think. You don't? No, and you shouldn't either. What they think doesn't matter. All that matters is what I think, and I think you are pretty special. Punchinello laughed. Me? Special? Why? I'm not very talented, and my paint is peeling. Why do I matter to you? Eli spoke very slowly. Because you are mine. That's why you matter to me. Punchinello didn't know what to say. Every day, I've been hoping you'd come, Eli explained. I came because I met Lucia, said Punchinello. Why don't the sticker stay on her? The maker spoke softly. Because she has decided that what I think is more important than what the others think. The stickers only stick if you let them. What? The stickers only stick if they matter to you. The more you trust my love, the less you care about their stickers. I'm not sure I understand. Eli smiled. You will, but it will take time. So for now, come to see me every day and let me remind you how much I care. Eli lifted Punchinello off the bench and set him on the ground. Remember, Eli said as Punchinello was leaving, you're special because I made you and I don't make mistakes. Punchinello didn't stop, but in his heart he thought, I think he really means it. And when he did, a dot fell to the ground. <laughs> Isn't that lovely? But what does that say to us as adults tonight? It says that God really, really cares. And if we go to him every day, that's the thing that's going to change us. That's the thing that's going to matter at the end of the day. Not what others think, but what he thinks 
if we go to him every day because he is the one who made us, who created us. Amen? Stand with me. Father, tonight we have been reminded by your word just how special and important we are to you. For no other reason than you are our creator. And Lord, you are the one who recreated us in Christ. And so we just want to stop and take that in for a moment. We just want to thank you, Lord, for your great love for us. And even though, Lord, we're undeserving and we make mistakes and we miss it from time to time, and yet, Lord, in your great mercy, you draw us to yourself and you take pleasure in us and you rejoice over us with singing. And so we thank you tonight for your great love. Thank you that it covers us tonight. And bless you, Lord, that our sins have been washed away by the blood of the Lamb. And you've given us this new life in Christ to enjoy Christ. And so we thank you for that. So we bless you, Lord, that you have pleasure in us. With all of our shortcomings, with all of our weaknesses, and yet your grace is sufficient. So Lord, let us go out of this house tonight knowing that you are a loving, compassionate, tender, generous, good God and that you love each and every single one of us. Thank you, Lord. We bless you for this night. We thank you for your word that keeps us right and encourages and strengthens our heart in Jesus' name. And everybody that believed that said, Amen. Amen.